What new ideas have you been exposed to as a result of understanding how to build and navigate your own personal learning network? And more importantly, what ideas have others gained as a result of your participation within these personal learning networks? Hello and welcome to the Lifelong Learning Podcast and today is a special episode because I'm joined by someone who I look up to, Greg Miller. Greg, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Chris. Good to see you. I love backstories. Could you share a little bit about your backstory and what has led you to this beautiful school we're sitting at, St. Luke's Marsden Park? Yeah, look, um, I've been privileged to be appointed as principal leader of St. Luke's Catholic College. Uh, I was drawn to the vision of the system to design and establish the new normal for preschool to post-school. So that point of difference and and certainly a system intent of taking a risk to combine the five educational services of early learning, out-of-hour school care, a primary school, a secondary school and a high-needs school into one Catholic learning community uh, very much uh, enticed me and excited me. Um, Previous to that, I've served as a, a principal for seven years in the Riverina. Uh, a part of um, my evolution there was the challenge that Kevin Rudd put out to us about 10 years ago, uh, holding up a, uh, a laptop at the time, saying, calling it the, the toolbox of the 21st century, mm-hmm. uh, which really prompted me to think about how we best use technology to enable, to accelerate and to amplify learning. And that sent me off on a a long journey of study and uh, connected with leading learning in one context. Uh, Prior, uh, following on from that, I was then serving as a a, a secondary school consultant in another diocese, uh, which again challenged me and took me out of my comfort zone in relation to um, the deepened understanding that all learning is contextual. Mm -hmm. So, um, but a part of my learning has been shaped by the Masters of Education course at CSU. And the um, I love the title of the course, which talks about knowledge networks and digital innovation. And, and for me, uh, networks are the way forward for education, students, teachers and parents in the way that we come together to work collaboratively as learners. And when you talk about St. Luke's being a next generation learning environment, what role does networks play in that? It's essential. Uh, from the point of view... Look, St. Luke sees itself as a global school, and if we're truly a global school, we don't actually just have to reach out to other parts of the world to know what they're doing, but we actually have to actively search about how experts lying idle are within our immediate community and more broadly across our nation and the world can actually assist us in our understanding of... um, how we can best utilise technology to support a lifestyle of contentment and fulfilment. And that's not easy. And we know that expertise can be right next to us, but we also know that it can be across the other side of the world. And we are quite well enabled with the great connections of social media platforms to connect with the expert, to, to bring them into our classroom or to bring them into our professional learning network or be introducing um uh, you know, acting as third-party mediators to connect one person to another around a need or a want or an interest or a passion. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we are yet to, I think, really deeply understand the potential of all that. Mm-hmm. There's a key word there, connect. Yep. 
and that's the purpose of a network. I guess a learning theory that um, underpins a lot of that is connectivism. Um, and, and connectivism, I think it was George Siemens. You have to fact check me after this. Uh, with know, a, with Steve Downs, is it? Uh, not sure. Not sure. <clears throat> we'll edit this part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> but um, connectivism talks about, I guess, three levels of connection. So you've got the first level of biologically making neural connections. Mm. You got the second level, which is you know connecting, and it kind of taps into what you mentioned earlier about learning is contextual. Mm-hmm. So it's connecting new experiences, new knowledge to your existing conceptual framework or mm-hmm. or schema, and then it's got this third level, which really talks about utilizing the like physical infrastructure of a network to build, whether it be social. Um, whether it be a network of resources and being able to navigate these, you know, these digital tools um, in order to, as you mentioned, serve, serve yourself mm. to live a fulfilling, filling life. Do elements of connectivism underpin what's happening here? Like for even the infancy is... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, probably the way that we act that out here at St. Luke's is that we are pushing forward with a capabilities-driven curriculum. So whilst marks and grades are a baseline necessary in relation to how we report based on our local jurisdiction, it's not at the forefront here at St Luke's. What at the forefront is are these six pillars of learning. And in particular, I suppose one reflection that I would have is that the first way of connecting or connectivism is to collaborate with those around you. So one of our six pillars of learning is to communicate and collaborate. Before you can really do that well with others, you're actually getting back to your different levels of connectivism. You need to be able to manage yourself and relate with others. Now, that that actually starts in preschool. Now, that understanding of how I can use my social and emotional intelligence to manage myself when I um, experience different emotions, how I relate with others when I'm experiencing those emotions or seeing emotions come from them, because until we can learn to manage ourselves and relate with others, the rest of it's just a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. So we do see that over time, uh, the best way to connect and um, to be a part of community is to manage yourself, learn to relate with others, and then start to come to a deep understanding of how to communicate and collaborate. And there are different forms of communication. You know, I quite regularly challenge the teachers here at St. Luke's and ask them, do we actually have to get every child to write the same piece of writing to demonstrate learning when some people may not be good at writing but can actually articulate verbally a lot better because of neural pathways that the way their brain operates, that mm-hmm. they're good on their feet, to use an old slogan, but maybe not great at writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my children are like that. So um, why can't we offer choice to students to be able to demonstrate their learning in more than one way. Um, the the more able students can experience different ways or their, their ways that they can demonstrate their learning through their, their natural strengths, the more they can be confident and competent to connect with others. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, and I know you know this as well, Chris, is that our future is not going to be built on individualism. It's going to be built on our ability as individuals to connect with each other, to work with each other, to solve problems. And in our Catholic context, it will be uh, around a connectivism about how do we solve a problem or confront a challenge 
where people can benefit and we reach out to the less fortunate and make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, whether we're Catholic seeing that through the eyes of Jesus, as we do here at St. Luke's, um, or more broadly in a secular society, one measure of success is how do we reach out to those least fortunate in our society? And one way of that is pulling together with others to create solutions to problems or responses to challenges. Mm-hmm. Okay, so w- when we talk about a network, being able to develop that um, will expose you to a broader um, broader ideas, broader experiences, Um and I'm going to start to link this uh, concept of network with professional learning. Sure. And it's about, I mean, I know teachers here at St. Luke's, it's um, it's part of the culture of mm. connecting online, making a blog. You know, if, if a network relies on participation, you need to contribute to it. How do you support staff or, you know, because I, I, I think for myself, you know, when I first... I was looking at a tool like Twitter to really tap into knowledge online. Kind of felt like I got to the disco and I didn't like the way my shirt was fitting. You know? <laughs> I you know? thought and it. I kind of kind of stood back and was more of what would you know you, you'd call a lurker and try, trying to just watch and and identify how people communicate online. How do you foster participation? Uh, look from that very point of view that relationships are two way. So if um you know, I, I, I recall a conversation there with a, a colleague in a previous setting. You know, she described herself as an elegant lurker. But I said, if everyone lurked and no one contributed, there's nothing to lurk around or about. So it, it does require, like any relationship, you know, um, give and take. And, and certainly I find the more that you give, the more that keeps coming back to you. Because uh, it's not about the connection you make immediately. It's about the long-term connection where... Uh, people come back to you in time or highlight you. Um, look, a few things that we've done here at St. Luke's, look, there is some expectation around that. You know, uh, teachers sign up to St. Luke's knowing that there's an expectation that the principal will be asking and requiring them to blog twice a term. Part of that is, and look, people have been scared stiff about that at times. Uh, we start off by just reflecting and it can just be a recount. Now, we ask year two, three, four students to write a recount regularly. I don't think there's any reason why we can't ask teachers to offer a recount about an experience that around a learning activity. Austin Cleon um, talks, he's, he's written a book, you know, Share Your Work, and another book called Still Like an Artist. He doesn't believe in IP. No, we don't, you mm-hmm. know, all ideas are built on the shoulders of others. You know, we all stand on the, on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. So I agree, you know, like let's just share our work um, and build capacity of people through deepening their knowledge around an area of interest. That's the great thing about networks is that you can follow your passion, you can explore your interest, you can work with like-minded people. You know, one of the criticisms about, um, say, Twitter in particular and, and education circles is that we don't have na- we don't have enough naysayers on there challenging us. And And I agree with that up to a point. However... You know, um, problems weren't solved and innovation wasn't achieved through naysayers. It was actually through like-minded people. Yes, we need critical friends and we need to test things and we need to make mistakes and fail, but we'll do that ourselves because we're not going to get things right the first time around. Um, I, I would say that those people who have stuck with, say, Twitter in particular, um, LinkedIn to a lesser extent, uh, even Facebook communities, uh, Pinterest communities, would say that over time that they've become a better educator because of it, because they've become be- 
they've become more informed and they can actually work with like-minded people to have more ideas thrown at them and sometimes objectively removed from their, their local setting. There's a lot more to gain than there is to lose. And I, I to be quite honest, I don't think we have a choice anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's the way it's the way we need to move forward by connecting with others beyond our immediate boundaries. It's an obligation as well. To to stay current in a climate where technology, for example, just um is it Moore's law he who he mentions, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, <clears throat> the CPU is constantly mm. updating, you know, and it, and it will be become outdated because of how fast um, technology is advancing. What you mentioned there about um, the networks, and I guess using um, developing a network online versus a, a you know networking socially. So there can be this yeah. view that social capital uh, translates to followers. When it comes to professional learning and b- building a network, you can have um, a concept of strong and weak ties. And I want to get your take on this. Mm-hmm. Rather than just building a network for, for the sake of it, but critically building um, a network of specific professionals. It's having that network in and being friends with Steve Heppel online. I haven't spoken to him directly, for example. But being able, being exposed to his thoughts, yes, um, yes, is is a benefit to me. And our our connection will be called a weak tie. But I benefit from hearing his thoughts, mm. um, as opposed to. And it kind of t- you said there's more to gain than there is yeah. to lose. Mm. So how do you encourage um, staff to build this network, but find not value in the number of followers, but value in the thoughts? Uh, good, really good, really good question. Um, I, I pro, uh, a few things. First of all, you talk about social capital. I suppose uh, professional capital, um, personal. That's a great concept. Professional yeah, capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's I think to do with the Hargrave sort of stuff. He talks about professional capital being um, the 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 new way forward in in developing um, professional learning and developing the capabilities of people. So building the professional capital of people. So, for example, for me to do that, Twitter's my professional network, Facebook's my social network. I do separate the two. Some do, some don't. Um, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm dipping my toe into. But what I used to say the previous setting I was, I said, uh, you need to give it five or ten minutes two or three times a week for the course of two or three months mm. and then tell me that it's not for you. Uh, what I found that those people who did that, the vast majority continued on and they're people that I still connect with six and eight and ten years later. So um, the other, I'm just talking a few practical things here. One of the other things I do is every now and then I'll review my the people that I follow. If they haven't tweeted, and I know there's apps out there that do this, but I prefer to do it my own. If they haven't tweeted for a good month or two, I delete them. I don't follow them anymore because... Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it's not about the numbers. It's about, I suppose, um, being precise around the content that flows through to me. Uh, have I banned people because of their tweets? No, I would say that basically almost all of those people that regularly engage in Twitter understand the unspoken of professionalism and I suppose etiquette or netiquette, mm-hmm. as we call it. A couple of times I've been involved in what I would call forthright conversations, but I wouldn't say that they're over the top. 
and you agree to disagree. I think that's a great comment on a professional network if at times you can agree to disagree. There's also the um, problem that you have around things that you can't pick up tone and sometimes you miss meaning and sometimes that needs clarification. But those minor every now and then concerns are far outweighed by the links to professional documentation. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, like my connection with the world of work through FYI all come through, um, you know, the new work order report series out of Melbourne through FYI.org for Young Australians, Jan Owen and her organisation. You know, I've made connections with Peter Hutton at Templestowe College, which endure today five five years after we first made that connection. Steve Collis at Northern Beaches Christian School, because of that connection over the over the um, over the internet through Twitter, you know, he ended up starting a, a professional connection with us when I was down in the Riverina. There is far more value and far more opportunity for you to be discerning about who you connect with, rather than turning up to a two or three day face to face professional opportunity. I'm not sure can justify be justified by time when the access is at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alicuris talks about you've got your personal learning network, but you've got your personal learning environment. Yep. And it's both physical and digital. So you've got this face-to-face interaction. Mm. Um, a seed's been planted, yep. perhaps. Yep. There are so many tools available online to continue that learning. Absolutely. And it kind of comes, we're going full, we're coming right back to the start where the purpose of this school is to help build agency in students. Absolutely. Absolutely. That agency is important and mm. and, so, and that leads to confidence, self-efficacy. Um, so it's one, not just this traditional idea of I come to a professional learning to have knowledge transmitted to me. Mm. No, I come to begin constructing knowledge that I can pursue, self-direct that beyond um, this face-to-face um, event, so to speak, mm. and have, you know, and have these tools available to me within that personal learning environment to really mm. continue to construct knowledge. Correct. <laughs> yeah, and, and applying that knowledge to respond to challenges. Mm-hmm. I agree. I want to ask you, what's something recently you've been exposed to online, a new idea? What, what's become very obvious to me in the last three to, uh, I'd say two to three months of connecting online through Twitter in particular and links is the increasing inevitability of AI playing a leading role for teachers in the development of learning for students. Uh, One one of the areas of investigation for us at the moment for next year with Stage 4, Year 7 and 8, is that we look at, in particular with maths and science, because they seem to be the two key learning areas that lend themselves most through what I would call um, regular ability to diagnose a student's zone of proximal learning Mm -hmm. and to accelerated teachers' understanding of where students are at and where to next. In relation to achieving course outcomes, I'm not talking about deeper learning. I'm not talking about uh, connecting KLAs for rich projects or passion projects across KLAs. But there's no doubt in the world that the networks with which I mix with online or what's reached out to me or what's piqued my interest is that Obvious, obvious, and I don't think too. I don't think enough of us are taking this seriously because it it will revolutionize revolutionize education. There's no doubt about that, and it will not 
You know, a couple of conversations I've had here is I sense that some teachers are thinking that this may take our role away. No, I actually have the opposite view. It will mean that our role will become far more subtle, but far more critical at identifying how we can best support a student at any given point in time. And we will no longer be looking at ages and stages and we'll have that vertical learning opportunities where students in stage three could be accelerated to engage in stage four mathematics. Um, Students in stage four can uh, either accelerate or self-pace so that they get through the curriculum earlier and buy back time. Mm-hmm. I've completed my maths. I can now uh, buy back time and do that project of interest. Yeah, um, the, the notion of a content expert. No, it's more a growth agent. Yeah, and, and I think the growth can come when students um, understand who they are, what they can do, and what problem they want to solve. Mm-hmm. And it's through engaging with uh, all aspects of, of learning to be as a beginning point but pulling back the layers to understand who I am deeply uh, and engaging with, for example, one of the connections I've come across is a, a group called Innerzone who's working with us here at the school as life coaches to peel back those layers with Year 7 students so that by the end of Year 8, you know, our aspiration is that students can self-direct uh, so that you know, we're going to take a minimum mandate of ours approach to learning here at St Luke's. So by the time students get to Year 9 and without following old-style electives, Mm -hmm. students will have four days of learning across a fortnight to self-direct. Now, if we're not working with kids in kindergarten and year one and year two around how to manage yourselves, relate with others, communicate and collaborate, that's just a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. So that's how important all this is. And one of the other things, you know, getting, getting back to professional learning networks is we're encouraging students now to develop folios of work that best represent their skills, capabilities and strengths where they can feel comfortable and competent to create their own work of the future. Mm -hmm. Now, that's five and ten years down the track. That will come around very quickly, but sitting them in rows, studying them for tests is not the way to prepare them. I agree. It's developing that executive function to be able to manage yourself, and if you can manage yourself, you can best serve a group and collaborate to them Absolutely. Solve problems. Absolutely. And it's that using levers, it's knowing when to promote that skill of collaboration and when you need to actually strongly communicate a message, uh, when you need to stand back and let someone else's strengths lead that group, uh, when you identify that your area of strength may not be good as someone else's, but you can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's and it's to going, take the ego, it's learning yeah. to manage yourself, regulate your own emotions as well. Yep. No iron team, and it's when we, you know, the the great sign of leadership, and that's what we call our year five to eight. The school of leadership is that, you know, you, you've played a pivotal role, and everyone stands around and say, "Look what we did." Mm-hmm. You know, it's not what I did; it's look what we did. So, are there any challenges leading, being a principal here at St Luke's Catholic College, and and leading this? shift oh look the joys far outweigh the challenges there's no doubt about that and the opportunities and the possibilities are endless uh the 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 greatest challenge that we have is communicating to parents that our new our focus around skills and capabilities without the marks and grades that there's that are so much more readily available elsewhere Convincing them around that shift in focus is at times challenging. However, 
they're our greatest champions. Uh, we're, we're aware of conversations between parents and, and most are very supportive and, in fact, encouraging and affirming of what we're doing because every one of them knows that they have different children with different skills and that with our intent to focus on the strengths is something that affirms parents that we're in this for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, What some occasionally struggle with is they need the instant answer around where is my kid on the reading levels. And and it's all a quantitative number. Yeah, they're looking at the easy easy measures, um, and I'm not saying they're not important. They are good baseline measures, but they're not the only measures. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know... As I said, I don't hear of any 25-year-old who cites NAPLAN as the reason why they're a success or failure in life. Mm-hmm. I don't know too many 30-year-olds who quote their HSC as the re- reason why they're successful or otherwise in life. Mm-hmm. I know that some of our students, and, and I have three children, all very different capabilities. Um, you know, one of them in particular really struggled at school. However, uh, he's I would define him as an six, six, uh, you know, early success in life. He's married. He's just moved into his own home. Um, he's he's ready to take on the world, but mm-hmm. it wasn't through a, a successful academic school upbringing that is the reason for that. He focused on his strengths and what he could do, and, and there are many kids that we owe this to now, especially with the opportunities that we have around a general capabilities curriculum, which needs to be far more fully exploited mm-hmm. and um, reaffirmed than sitting for a narrow HSC university pathway. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to care my next question about my own HSC results. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you know sharing your expertise, but appreciate what you're doing here at Marsden Park. So thank you for your time and keep up the good work. No, thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for your time. And you know, none of us can do this on our own. We need a team, and I'm, I'm surrounded by some great teachers and leaders and support staff and, and a supportive community. Thanks very much, mate.